0: Superhumans! It's Boomer Anderson. We are back in Amsterdam on today, a chilly day in Amsterdam, but it's also the Amsterdam Marathon Day. Yes, there's this little thing going on called Amsterdam Dance Event, ADE, which is a global conference for DJs, but I didn't go. I don't know many people that did go. Actually, a lot of the city did go, but I was more interested in the marathon. Not because I was running, that was the original plan. But it's just fun to watch people go out, dedicate a serious, serious amount of time to this, and finish a goal that they wish to accomplish. I recently completed the Brussels Marathon. My total training time for this marathon was supposed to be 10 weeks. And I must say, the run went almost the opposite as I expected. In this podcast, I want to explore what a lot of people are afraid to talk about, when the experiment goes wrong, when the experiment doesn't go as expected, and what happened as a result. In the end, I want to reflect on the things that I probably could have done better, and the things that did go well, and things that I'm actually particularly proud of. Let me throw a very big disclaimer here. Everything I did was my own choice. If you are going to attempt any of this, please speak to a medical physician. Please speak to a trainer. Some will say that what I attempted to do, or did, is slightly insane. And I'm okay with that. But I was under proper supervision by some of the smartest people in the world. And I have the opportunity by running this podcast to ask some of the smartest people in the world a lot of questions. And so with that, you guys can find the show notes to this one at decodingsuperhuman.com slash marathon. Now let's step back a little bit. Why would anybody in their right mind decide to run 26.2 or 42 plus kilometers. So 26.2 miles or 42 plus kilometers. In hindsight, yes, it is quite crazy. Everybody knows that the first person that ran the marathon actually died. But yet, for some reason, thousands of people around the world decide to run marathons every single weekend. And so, in a way... This exercise was a little bit of a check-the-box exercise for me. But you guys also know that I have a heart condition. And I think there is a danger in certain diagnoses, if you will, that people all of a sudden assume the identity of their condition. And I wanted to prove a little bit that... If you have this condition, if you have a heart condition, it doesn't necessarily preclude you from doing all the things that a normal or even above average athlete would do. That was part of the reason why I did this. The second part goes as follows. My yearly periodization looks a little like this. I spend three quarters of the year, so nine months, focusing on my genetic strengths. These include strength, hypertrophy, and power. I spend one quarter of every year focusing on my genetic weaknesses, which is endurance. Now, that's not to say that during the opposite period, so for instance, strength, I don't spend any time on endurance. No, it's just the emphasis is on strength and not on endurance. Vice versa, during an endurance period, the emphasis is on endurance rather than strength. I do do some strength workouts, but it's not the focus. And so, after about a year and a half of powerlifting as my main focus, my main really driver in the gym, I notice I start to become a little bit anti-fragile, or sorry, not anti-fragile, become very fragile, if you will, on the endurance side of things. Go out for the run, and the run slower than normal, etc. So at this point, I find out that I couldn't get into the open that I wanted to this December for powerlifting. And I decide that, you know, hey, it's time to interject something new, something different. And that something new and something different was a marathon. And I planned to do today's Amsterdam marathon. Keep in mind, this is all in the same year where I tore a meniscus, hiking the lovely hills of Patagonia and I injured my gastroc. Yeah, it was a pretty crazy idea. But why not? Who, you know, it's not who cares, but why not? I wanted to check the box I wanted to complete it. So I did a little bit of a survey. I spoke to clients, many of whom had run marathons but also completed ironmans. By benefits of having this podcast, I get to speak to some of the smartest people in the world and I spoke to very famous endurance trainers, nutritionists, about whether or not this was possible or if it was just complete lunacy. In fact, if you go to the episode with Paul Larson, you'll see a lot of those questions were very self directed on my part. After all of this analysis, all of this thinking, I elected to complete or try to complete a marathon. The idea started with could I complete eight miles in a given weekend? I was 10 weeks out from the Amsterdam Marathon. The eight miles went slower than expected, but I finished it. And the plan is is to build by 10% each week. So week over week by 10%. I didn't want to overtrain, so I was monitoring HRV every day. I would lift weights twice per week just to ensure that my strength didn't go down, that my size didn't go down too much, but also because... It helps prevent injury. And I limited my runs to three times per week. Three times per week sounds a little bit crazy, right? Let's break that down. So I had one series of sprints. And these were typically quarter mile sprints with a very short rest period over a series of miles. So you can imagine that workout would take anywhere from one to two hours, depending on what point in this prep work I was doing. I'd have one fun run and that would just be an intermediate distance where i would go at just a, a leisurely pace around amsterdam to some place that i've never seen before. and then on the weekends i would engage in this long run and that's where 8% or sorry 8 miles building by 10% week over week really came into play. so week 1 goes by 8 miles. week 2 i actually went out and did the half marathon. that's a th- almost 50% or more jump in terms of distance. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. Week three, did a little bit over 14 miles. And by week four, I was actually up to 16 miles. I was feeling good. I was feeling confident. Week five, 18 miles. But let's talk about nutrition because I think everybody's listening to this and saying, hey, you know, your training changed, but did your nutrition also change? Back when I was powerlifting, almost... I guess you can call it full-time or full-focus. I was ketogenic with a heavy emphasis on protein. It was a Mediterranean ketogenic diet, so I used fish as my predominant source of protein, some chicken, a little bit of beef. As is the case with this, I did elect to keep a time-restricted feeding pattern, but I moved my meals earlier in the day. One would say I basically didn't fast. I would have a breakfast, if you will, post my run, and I can keep it going throughout the day. Now, during this time, I actually was experimenting and doing the long runs in a fasted state with ketone esters. Frank Yoso was on the show before to talk about ketone esters, and I used his product, Ketone Aid, in all of these long runs, and I felt pretty freaking good. I mean, after all, going from eight miles... In a given week, to 18 miles in a very short period of time in a fasted state on ketone esters is pretty interesting. And so I was doing 20 milliliters of ketone esters before those long runs. And so I'm feeling really good, right? I got the 16 miles, I got the 18 miles, I got the 16 miles again at Hyde Park in London. I'm at Health Optimization Summit, and I'm with a bunch of friends and one friend mentioned that I should really try this peptide and this peptide for whatever reason didn't jive well with me and in fact it knocked me out and I was sick for a period of one and a half to two weeks. And as I'm sick, I had to go to Kiev, Ukraine. And my original plan for the marathon, to be honest, guys, was to sign up at the last possible minute because I wanted to sign up with the last possible minute, given the fact that I had torn my meniscus earlier in the year and I'd done something in my gastroc and I wasn't sure I was going to make it through the training without getting injured. So I go to Kiev. I present at the Biohacking Fest. Thank you, Svatislav, for the introduction there. That was a lot of fun. And I go to register in my hotel room and the marathon, the Amsterdam marathon that is, is full. Oh, shit. I told too many people that I was doing this marathon. And now the Amsterdam marathon, which is now four weeks away, is full. What to do? Well, lucky thing, there is something called Google. And I went on to one of the many marathon sites out there and figured out what the marathon schedule was for Europe between now and the rest of the year. And common sense would have told you at this point that I should probably look for a flat terrain or something in the Netherlands or something that is at least further out than where the Amsterdam Marathon was. But sometimes common sense is not so common. And I look at the racing schedule and I figured, you know, Brussels Marathon, why not? It's two weeks sooner than the Amsterdam Marathon. And so now I'm basically battling through this sickness. I haven't really worked out hard in two weeks. And I have to go and run the Brussels Marathon. So let's, let's recap here. My original training plan was 10 weeks. If you're listening to this and have run a marathon before, that's already pretty short. My shortened marathon training plan was supposed to be eight weeks. That's already shorter than really short. And then I get sick, and so it's down to six weeks. Also, on top of that, I've switched cities. So now it's moving from Amsterdam to Brussels. And a little bit of a mistake on my part, the topography of the two cities are very, very different. So I went from a very controlled experiment into a world of a lot of volatility. Very interesting, right? For many people listening to this, you're probably saying, hey, that's stupid. But at the end of the day, I wanted to get this done. I had a goal in mind that I was going to complete this marathon, and I was willing to do just about anything to get it done. So let's fast forward to race day. The lady and I head down to Brussels on Saturday morning. The run is on Sunday morning. But we wanted to get down to Brussels, check things out, make sure we got a good night's sleep before the marathon. Because the marathon itself started at 9 a.m. So the idea of taking the train down the morning of the marathon, running the marathon, and then coming back probably wasn't going to work. We get to Brussels. I have my playlist ready. It's all plugged into the Garmin Phoenix 5. I check in for the race. And in the midst of the check-in, I get introduced to this guy who is putting on this marathon in the North Pole. And... One of the thoughts that went through my mind at the time was like, you know what, after this, I'm going to sign up for that. It's pretty badass. I don't know too many people who have run a marathon in the North Pole. We go out for a dinner. It, I didn't carb load. I didn't have spaghetti. You can imagine that spaghetti doesn't really touch these lips very often. And, you know, hit the sack pretty early. I take some hanakyo, which is... It's not a peptide, but it's something to help reduce the anxiety a little bit before the race. And, you know, as somebody like David Goggins once said, nobody really sleeps well the night before the race. Nobody sleeps well. And I didn't, but that's okay. The next morning I get up and, you know, races at nine, but I'm up at seven, ready to rock, ready to race. And I get into my pre-marathon mode which is pretty scripted at this point. I'm basically following what I did for those longer 16 mile, 18 mile runs. And I take 20 milliliters of ketone esters, feeling pretty good. The race starts promptly at 9am as prompted. And the first leg, pardon the pun, is going really well. I come out the gate and I just feel great. Maybe it's the ketone esters. Maybe it's something else but I just feel amazing and one of the things you'll quickly note about differentials between training in Brussels and training in Amsterdam is that Amsterdam is underneath water and flat Brussels is definitely not and keep in mind my six weeks of prep work not one of those runs was actually done in the rain and what happens on race day in Brussels downpours. Brussels has hills, and I'm a person with big thighs after years and years of powerlifting, ice hockey, and all of these sports that use legs. And I just see hills as a way to, as Goggins would once again say, take souls. So the music is grooving. I've got the slow pace going on. In the beginning, I have tunes from anywhere from like Lionel Richie dancing on the ceiling to... Who else was on that? John Legend, Sun Comes Up. All of this stuff is just keeping me in such a good mood. And I'm smiling. I'm enjoying it. I'm loving it. And so I hit mile eight. Still downpouring. My blue shirt begins to look a little purple. And I hit an uneven piece of pavement. I slip. My right leg goes a little bit funky. And I notice it. And reminded me quite a little bit of what happened in Patagonia earlier this year, where I stepped on a rock, slipped, and had a shooting pain on my leg. Not immediately, but a few minutes afterwards. You know, Mike Tyson said that everyone has a plan and can execute that plan until they get punched in the face. And yes, I'm butchering his quote, but this moment I got punched in the face and I didn't feel it right away. But as the miles began to pop on, as it became nine, 10, I began to notice the pain and the pain got worse and worse and worse. And, you know, my girl was supposed to meet me at mile 13, the halfway point, because I was going to refuel on ketone esters. And I'm actually grateful she wasn't there because at mile 13, so the halfway point of this marathon, I was ready to quit. I wanted it out. I had shooting pain up and down my leg, my right leg that is, and I could barely move. At this point, I had moved from what was a very good, faster than my expected pace for the marathon to what became a jog, power walk, walk pace. And the original pace that I started at, I started at, roughly around 4 hour pace and I began to outpace those people and then slowly they came back they overtook me and again by mile 13 I wanted to quit If you're in Brussels or if you've ever been in Brussels, this is where Embassy Row is. And so we're going by some gorgeous houses. And I know that kept me going because you're just looking at these beautiful houses, these beautiful embassies, these beautiful cars. And it kept me going. And the cool thing about marathons is, is you have people on the sidelines playing all these great tunes, great music, everything. And it just keeps you going. And that energy is what I fed off of. And so by kilometer 30... We had already gone outside of Brussels to this beautiful house, this beautiful mansion. I'll link to the marathon map in the show notes. And, you know, Bessie's there. And we exchange looks, and she knows that I am immediately in pain. She hands me the refuel on the ketone, ester. this is 10 milliliters this time. And rather than saying I'm going to quit, it was close enough to the finish line that I said I'm going to I'm going to finish this. And there were a few people along the way that just made the journey a lot more enjoyable. There was a gentleman who came up to me and said, you know, my name's Tan Washing," and he said, you can remember my name by saying Washington Tan. And we had just such a great time running together and he kept me going throughout this time period. And I became really determined to finish with this great group of people. And so I finished the marathon. And I'm actually really proud of this. No, I wasn't trying for a sub two hour marathon, but let's talk a little bit about what went wrong and then what went really, really right. So I don't think my fueling strategy was off. If you look at my prep work, I'd prepped fasted. I was doing 16 miles, 18 miles, all fasted on ketone esters. And I think that went very, very well. I actually think the training was okay. I wasn't overtraining. My HRV was great, actually. It increased over the period of my marathon training. Not surprising because cardiovascular endurance workouts tend to increase HRV. Maybe a few more weeks would have been better for me in terms of getting my, my joints, my ligaments under control. But the variance I didn't account for here was the change in topography between Amsterdam and Brussels, the change in weather. I didn't train in the rain, which is ironic that during the six weeks that I did train in Amsterdam slash London, I didn't have one training session that was in the rain. And I didn't account for getting hurt. So if I didn't slip on that particular piece of pavement, what would have happened? And so what went really right? Yes, I'm extremely proud that I finished my first marathon. And the thing that went really right was resilience. I told you I wanted to quit at mile 13, but I didn't. And you just roll up your sleeves at one point and you say, hey, I'm going to get this shit done. And that is something that I'm happy to ride home about because when you start training that mindset, when you start training that resilience, that sticks with you in other parts of your life. So not everything goes as planned, but when things or shit hits the wall, it's where you find out where you really are. And so I'm proud to have finished this Brussels marathon. Maybe I'll do one again. Not right away, I'm still kind of recovering for it. Or maybe, maybe, and I'm just going to throw this out there, because I just found this race today and I'm super excited about it. Maybe we'll move on to race 29029, which is a climb up U.S. ski hills that is the equivalent distance of Mount Everest. So guys, this is a new format for the podcast. I'm being a little bit vulnerable here and sharing with you a story about what happens when shit hits the fan. Let me know what you think about it. You can email me at podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com. If you enjoyed it, please share it on all the social medias. That could be anything from Snapchat, if you're still on that, to Instagram, Facebook, wherever you are. And tag Decoding Superhuman because I'd love to hear from you guys. And if you enjoyed the episode, and if you're enjoying these episodes, head on over to iTunes. We actually broke the top 100 business and careers podcasts, which I'm Amazingly proud of. And I hope you guys continue liking these shows. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com/slash marathon. And remember, guys, sometimes it's about enjoying the journey.